was a month ago today, and I preached on a hard topic, a difficult topic. Um, well, actually, it was a month and a week, wasn't it? Because a month ago, I didn't get to preach. I was supposed to preach this message that I'm preaching this morning a month ago, but the Holy Spirit dropped, and He decided to mess things up in some folk, which we accept. Amen? And uh, we'll take that. But this message uh, is kind of coming on the heels of that message, and that message was a message on apostasy, which is always a fun time, right? Yeah, that's the one you want to go take your friends to and have them hear about apostasy. That's the one you want them to be introduced to Jesus through, right? Yeah, not, not, a, not a good plan. Thank you, Jamil, for what you're doing. I appreciate that. Um, but this one is a different animal. Uh, this is not one that you're going to, to jump and shout at either. This is a Christian living kind of message. This is something you need to make note of, and you need to go, okay, I need to, I need to either take notes on that, I need to listen to the podcast once or twice after he's done, or I need to go buy a CD, and yes, we still sell CDs. That was supposed to be moderately humorous, but it tanked on me. So, with that said, I want you to open your Bibles to the 15th chapter of the book of John. And in unlikely fashion for me, I'm going to be preaching, the scripture references are going to be out of the New King James Version this morning, not the New International John 15, we're going to start in verse 1. Now, this is another thing, uh, this is something that's kind of frowned upon in uh, homiletical circles. Uh, Keep your text verses short. I'm not. As a matter of fact, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 10 this morning. Uh, That is typically not something you're supposed to do. If you go to college and you learn anything about homiletics... Your instructor is likely to tell you, yeah, keep your text verses short. Uh, I'm going against the grain. I will pray about rebellion when I'm done preaching today. John 15, verse 1 through verse 10. I'm going to be reading through the New King James. It's going to be up behind me, thanks to uh, my sister-in-law. Here we go. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. That statement right there, Jesus identifying himself and the father and their subsequent roles in this spiritual journey we call Christianity, he identifies who and what the players are right there. And he lets you know Everything is predicated on that little factoid. I'm the vine. There's only one of us, and I'm the true one. The Father is the vine dresser. Okay? So the vine is responsible for growing and putting out things. The vine dresser is responsible for taking care of the vine and the things that branch off of it. Everybody got that? I realized that that was probably one of those things you did not need me to elaborate on. But when you go into ten verses of content, opening statements are statements you need to pay attention to. Okay? That's just a little Bible study 101. I'm the true vine. And my Father is the vine dresser, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes, that it might bear more fruit. You you are already clean. Now, I'm going to pause right here. The word clean there is another iteration of the word prune. So pruned and cleaned are the same thing. 
It's not two different things. He's not going from a spiritual illustration into real life, saying you're pruned over here, but you're cleaned over here. No. Pruning and cleaning is the same thing. Capiche? I just said capiche. What am I, a wise guy? You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch, that's us, the branch, that's us, branches, cannot bear fruit of itself. In other words, you guys have all done this. If you're, if you're gardening or horticulturally inclined whatsoever, you've pruned a tree or a vine or a, a, some shrub or bush, and you lay the, the branch aside, what does the branch do? Go right on living, going, whoo-hoo-hoo. No, it shrivels up and dies. And in Texas heat, it does that post-haste. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in me. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Okay, we've just determined here, or should I say Jesus just determined here, that you cannot be connected to him and not bear fruit. Why? Because as we're going to find, if you're not bearing fruit, what does the vine dresser do? Prunes you away. Takes you, I think the scriptures, takes you away. You're no longer connected. So the question is, is what is your fruit? For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. That's a bummer. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Now let's take a second. I'm going to be honest with you, I'm making a lot of pit stops this morning, and for that I apologize, because on the latter end of this sermon, you're going to go, when is he going to be done So I apologize that I'm taking a pit stop. But that statement right there, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. That has been misinterpreted by many a folk in the body of Christ. Please understand that the meaning of you asking what you want and it being done for you comes within the context of one you being connected to Christ, abiding with Christ. Two, God shaping, cleaning, pruning you to produce fruit. And three, that fruit's exclusive purpose is to glorify Him. So when you're saying to yourself, why isn't God giving me that new fill-in-the-blank here It's because that's not how this works. How this works is when you're abiding, when you are close to, when you are connected to the true vine, Jesus Christ, and you ask for anything in the context of abiding in Him, and He gives it to you, its express purpose is to glorify God as it is Fruit being born from the true vine. I know you want a brand new Corvette. He's not going to just drop it on you because you claim to abide in Him and He's going to give you what... Nah, sorry. That ain't happening. What your heart should want as a result of abiding in Christ should be fruit that gives glory to Him exclusively. If you want a Corvette, work overtime. Buy it yourself. Capiche? I did it again.
by this, my Father is glorified. By what? Because I just talked for a long time. You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Does this give you an idea of what you should be asking for? The capacity to bear much fruit. Shape me, Lord. Change me, Lord. Prune me, Lord. Make me closer to you, Lord. Give me the capacity to bear more fruit so that I may glorify. Now now we're talking. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide. In my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. In recent weeks leading up to this point, uh, I've discussed uh, a whole bunch of biblical concepts, all of which were coincided uh, one with the other, kind of in a logical progression. If you'll remember back some time ago, we started out with the idea of redemption. And then salvation. We went to justification, right? Then we went to adoption. And we followed that up lastly with the discussion on apostasy. Now in light of these, and quite frankly, juxtaposed to that very last one, apostasy, um, I'd like to speak to you this morning on the subject of, you guessed it, abide. What it means to abide. As I said, you're not going to get super excited about this. But this is going to help us in that progression of subjects. We've been redeemed. We got ourselves saved because we saw the need for that redemptive gift that Jesus did, right? Because of salvation, He he justified us just as if we'd never sinned. And then that was His legal move. And then His familial move was He adopted us as, as sons and daughters. Right? Yep, that's what He did. Then we talked about apostasy. That apostasy applies to those who once believed and no longer do now. And they have gone away. That it is joined at the hip to the unforgivable, unpardonable sin of blasphemy of the Holy Ghost and what that all means. Now, here we're talking about what it means to abide. If apostatizing is is leaving, is no longer remaining, is no longer staying connected to Christ, then abiding is quite the opposite. Amen? The word abide in our text occurs ten times uh, in these ten verses that make up what we just read. It shows up ten times. Now, the word abide does not show up in one time in every verse, but it still averages out for ten verses it showed up ten separate times. Now, the reason that that's important is if you're going to look at a mere ten verses of Scripture and Jesus uh, applies and uses specifically the word abide and vividly, graphically illustrates what it is to abide in Him in ten little verses, He says it ten times, I dare suggest that then abiding is something we need to pay attention to. Not going to church. That's not abiding. Not having your precious promise uh, cards on your nightstand next to your bed or at the uh, morning table where you drink your coffee so you can extract a little verse and read it and say you've done your... That's not abiding. Okay? Okay? Apparently, abiding is really important. Let's see why. John 15, which is where our text came from, it lands smack in the middle of John chapters 13 through 17. So what? Well, John 13 through 17 actually has a name. It's called the farewell or upper room discourse. These chapters are Jesus' farewell address to the eleven disciples, commencing at the end of the Last Supper and coming to a close just prior to Jesus' arrest in John chapter 18. In light of the events 
Once he's arrested, now think about what we're talking about here. John 18, Jesus is arrested. But in John chapter 13 through 17, we have this discourse, these interactions with Jesus and the disciples where he's essentially saying goodbye. And if you add all that up, essentially this is what's happening. In light of what is about to happen, in very, very short order, in a matter of fact, it's only going to be a matter of hours what is about to transpire, not only in the life of Jesus, but in the life of the eleven, the shocking, horrifying terrifying events that are going to take place in the wee hours of the of the morning and throughout the day those things it's kind of understandable why Jesus would place such an emphasis on the idea of abiding in him because in reality we even have scripture to back up the fact that the disciples after Jesus is crucified dies and is buried, Peter goes back to work fishing. He's discouraged now. This has happened. The one we put all our money on. We banked everything on this guy. He's gone. We saw it. He died. And he's buried right out there. He's buried. And in their mind, remember, (laughs) ain't no one coming up out of that grave. Now Lazarus did, but he had help. So this is where they're at. They're looking to bail on this situation because now they are crushed. Of course Jesus would spend this kind of attention, this kind of detail, and this kind of time on telling the disciples, abide, stick with me, stay with me. To abide is a verb. It's active. It denotes action. Abiding in Christ is not a feeling. Abiding in Christ, hang on, is not a belief. It is not. Rather, abiding in Christ is something we do. It's a verb. You act on it. It's something we do. Abiding is something we actively pursue. To abide in Him means means, literally, means to remain or to stay. It entails far, far more than the idea of mere continued belief in a Savior. How many people have gotten saved, punched in, then checked out because they've got their religious obligation addressed, they have Jesus, and hey, I'm good. That's not abiding. Abiding in Him is far more than an occasional confirmation of religiosity. I am a Christian, therefore I abide. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. The idea of abiding is that of residing with, living with, dwelling in, and dwelling from Him. The 17th chapter of Acts says, For in Him we live and move and have our being. Romans chapter 11 says, For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. It has been said that abiding is about being in a place where one remains close, where a relationship is sustained. Does everybody hear that? I think that's worthy of repeating, Austin. I'm just going to say it again. 
even if it's not worthy. I like it. Abiding is about being in a place where one remains close, where a relationship is sustained. I don't know if you know this, but if you're not close, you don't have a relationship. And I'm not just talking about him. I'm talking about people and everything. You have to remain close in order to maintain a healthy, functional, active, dynamic relationship. Have you ever had a friend? Have you ever established a friendship that was really, really close in the beginning? Maybe that friendship lasted maybe even for years. But as time went by, that relationship faded. Anybody been there? Distance. Physical distance. Life. Circumstances for sure. All took over. And that friendship lost the prominence that it once enjoyed. In order to abide, one has to actively, listen to these words, intentionally, purposefully, Remain close to Him, not allowing anything to dull or distance you from Him. This is an act of decision, an act of will to abide. This isn't something He just kind of shoots you with and suddenly you're abiding. Mm -mm. Have you ever, has any of you ever, after your you're your coming to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, found yourself growing cold in one way, shape, or another for some reason or reasons? Yeah. You know why? Because He accepts you in salvation. You decide to stay in contact with Him. And if you don't, things cool. Those of you who have dated people before, uh, or even in your marriage, if, if you can relate to this, if you do not remain active with your spouse or that one that you're dating, things can cool. When things in a marriage aren't hot, and yeah, you can take that any way you want to. You're not abiding. You have distance. Abiding, remaining close, allows you to enjoy what I like to refer to in my, in my brain are the still small voice moments. If, like right now, let's just take... Uh, Sam Hatcher. He's back there in the, in, in, the, in the cheap seats right back there. Sam Hatcher turned 15 years old yesterday. I think it was yesterday. Yeah. Happy birthday. If I took this microphone off and I whispered something to Sam, betting dollars to donuts, Sam would never hear me. I'm betting that if I spoke in a very small voice, which I don't do frequently, he would never hear my message, right? You know why? Because Sam and I have a whole lot of distance between us. Sam would be able to hear my voice plain as day if I spoke quietly, softly, subtly, if Sam was right here. That is exactly how it works with Christ. If you have this kind of, dist this kind of distance between you and the Lord, you aren't going to hear Him. And let me give you a little secret. It's not that he's not talking. It's that you're not hearing. Still small voice moments. Those are the moments where because you're close, because you're in direct proximity to him, you, listen, never, I'm going to say it again, never miss hearing his voice.
If you're in direct proximity, if you are, if you remain close, if you're remaining close, <coughs> if you are abiding with Him, you're joined to Him. As our text suggests, He's the vine, we're the branches. There's a connection. We can hear Him when He speaks. And because of that connection, we will never, underline that if you're a note taker, miss hearing His voice. He speaks quietly. He doesn't yell at His branches. I yell. I bet none of you knew that. I yell. He doesn't yell. He he speaks in a still, small voice. And we need to be near. We need to be abiding. We need to be remaining close to Him in order to hear Him when He speaks. Right now, I'm going to take a little journey uh, and go into a totally personal point of reference, okay? I'm going to say this. I used the word never numerous times just a second ago, and I want to let you know something about me. I never, I never not hear His voice. I never not hear Him. Now, I know that's bad. That's a double negative, and ain't nobody loving a double negative. I never not. I know, that sounds ridiculous. But I'm going to say it. I never not hear His voice. And it has nothing to do with me being anything at all. I am nothing. If you know me and you've heard me talk about me, and if you were to take a little jaunt in my head and heart and analyze the files that refer to me, you'll know. I am nothing. It's not that I'm anything. I am nothing that is uber-spiritual or hyper-spiritual. I'm nothing. I can't say that enough. Except for this. If I can be labeled as one thing, it's this thing. I'm desperate for Him. I am desperate to get where He is. I don't know if I should even say what I'm about to say. But maybe some of you can relate to the fact that I'd rather be where He is than be here. And this is getting worse all the time. And I want to go where He is. But I'm not there. I am desperate for Him. You know how when you're in love, Riley, Audrey, they're, they're, the, they're kind of the default go-to. You know how when you're in love, how you crave that person. You crave them. That's your other. You look at that person and you say, that's my other. You long for that person. In my mind, in my body, in my thinking, in my speech, in my actions, I'm just a desperate man. A desperate for Him. That's the things, you know that old hymn, the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glorious face or grace, whichever one you insert there. That's my life. That's my living. Things, one of, one of my favorite verses anymore, and I am so going off script, my, to live, that's Him. It's Him because He keeps me. In Him, I, we, we just covered this. Through Him, we live. In Him, we live, right? 
So, it, But at the same time, while I live, I'm going to try to focus my, my life and my living in all of its boneheaded stunts and malfunctions that I live. I'm going to try to point to Him. So to live is Christ. To die, give me a break. Let me check out. Why? Because it's gain. This is, why am I doing this if it's not to get to where He is? Because once I get to where He is, I'm there for time without end. There is no ticking of the clock. There's not a turning of a calendar page. I'm there. Let me, let me add to that. It's not a thing where I sit around like some sage on a mountaintop and he tells me everything that I want to know or need to know and he just dispenses all this information. It's not like that at all. That's not what I'm talking about. It doesn't happen. He doesn't do that. Now, here's the thing. I never not hear Him. But it's not Him giving me stuff, talking to me about stuff. <laughs> it's not. Do you want to know what your Lord misses? Do you want to know what your God misses? And He just dropped this into my head. Because it's the truth. Have you ever read Genesis? Where you get this picture of Him and Adam, or Him and Adam and Eve, or Him and Eve just hanging out in the what the Bible says, the cool of the day. And they're just chilling. They're going about, having a great time, talking about all this stuff. Because you keep in mind, we don't know how far after the creation everything went to pot. We do know Adam had a lot of work to do because he was naming animals and everything else. And you know what the number, raw, raw number of animals and species had to be there. Naming plants and all of it. So it must have taken some time, but that was time where God is walking with these people, having a great time. These aren't angels. These aren't cherubim. These aren't the heavenly host. They're doing something else. This is a different class of creation. This is man made after his own image that he breathed into and brought to life eternally. This is something different. And he just chills. God. Walking around the dirt of earth with two naked people. And having the time of his life. Having the time of his life. Do you know why I never not hear him? because that's all we're doing because that's what he misses that's what he wants for you he i i know that in the modern church we're dedicated to our our uh devotion time right we have our devotions and that's awesome but literally the rest of your being the left the rest of your life your living day to day needs to be spent chilling out with him in the cool of the day. Because that's all he's wanting. You should never, Jocelyn, you should never not hear him. Because he's always there. That's the thing. If you're connected to him, as our text would suggest, you're connected. You're not disconnected because if you're disconnected, you're thrown away to be burned. But you're connected. That means you are in direct proximity to Him. You, you, you should never not hear Him. And here's the secret. If you don't understand what I'm talking about, if you don't get this, if you think I'm being foolish, I'm not I'm not. 
But if you think that, it's because you don't hear him. You're where Sam is. And all you need to do to change that is draw closer to him. You need to train your spiritual ears to hear his voice. Because here's the thing. God is never quiet. I know we have this catchphrase, God was silent on this particular. Yeah, okay, so God didn't share into uh, uh, information with you about a given thing or things. Fine. That's not what God's there for. He's not a great dispenser of information. He's not a mainframe computer downloading your trouble, the answers to your troubles into your life. He's your Father who loves to be with you to have How many of you ever heard the Newsboys song, Big, Big House, with lots and lots of rooms, big, big table with lots and lots of food, big, big yard so we can play football? That is a song that hit, how many many years ago was that? About late 90s, early 2000s, long time ago. And to me, I'm going to be honest with you, theologically, you don't find that in Scripture. But that is, an, that is an apt description of God and His relationship with us. That is apt. You should, if you don't have that philosophy, and you just heard that song and thought that was a cute song, no, 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 no. That is who He is. He wants to run around with you in the garden naked. Yeah, I said it. He wants to run around in the garden with you naked. You know what naked does? You don't have to worry about what you look like. If you're fashionable. Man, I'm off my sermon. Man, am I off my sermon. If this coming week I get a phone call or a visit from somebody in in this congregation saying... I came into the house and my wife or husband was running around naked saying he was talking to God. I'm going to look at them while it will save on laundry. I just got a hallelujah out of a laundry statement. I never not hear him. I never not hear him. It, it, it is, while we're on this subject, listen. This is something that he said about himself. Listen to Hebrews chapter 13, second half of verse 5. Listen to what he said about himself. I will never leave you. That's what he said about himself. So if you're not hearing him and he's always talking, It's not his fault. We need to make some adjustments. My point is that if we do our part, if we actively seek to abide with him, uh, he's going to seek to remain. He's going to do his part. He is going to do it. He's already said it. The Greek word uh, used most frequently for in the New Testament for the word abide is "meno." The word translates to stay, to stay, as in a given place, state, relation. Or expectancy. There are other words that you can, if you look that up in Strong's, you'll see other words, but you get the idea. There is a relational element in the idea of abiding when it comes to these words. To stay. To stay in a given place. To stay in a given state, etc. There's a relational element there. That means you have a relationship with Him. But at the same time, You can't have a relationship unless you stay in place, unless you continue where the relationship is rooted. This entire discussion about abiding that we find here in our text in John chapter 15 is predicated on what is stated in verses 1 and 2, where the Father is the the vine dresser. 
He's the one. We've talked about this. He's tending. He is overseeing every single branch that is connected to Jesus, the vine. The fruit-producing branches get pruned. We've talked about this. That means they're cleaned. Look at verse 13. John 13.10. I'm sorry, verse chapter 13. Jesus said to him, the him here is Peter. He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. In other words, if you've been bathed and you happen to walk outside and you get your feet dirty, which they would have often, frequently at that time, that doesn't mean they got dirty from the top of their head down to the soles of their feet. No, they got their feet dusty, right? What came in contact with the world got dirty. The rest of them was clean. Yes? So in other words, we need to maintain where the dirt is. We don't need to worry about whether or not we need another bath. He bathed us in His blood once and for all, the Scriptures say. Now all we need to do is maintain what was brought into this world to trod it. We need to abide. Whereas fruit-producing branches get pruned, non-fruit producers get cut off. According to verse 2, where they die, having been separated or completely removed from Christ and subsequently thrown in the burn pile. Look at Hebrews 6, verses 7 and 8. Look at, listen to this. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessings from God. Makes sense. Semicolon. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. Keep it, all this in mind. Keep all this in mind. That those who produce uh, fruit are pruned, they're cleaned. Those who don't are cut off. These are different approaches having very different intents and very different outcomes. On a vine, anybody here ever do any pruning on bushes, trees, vine? Anybody ever do that horticultural kind of stuff? Yeah. On a vine, pruning is done so as to remove these little useless growths that will ultimately do nothing to enhance the vine's capacity to produce fruit. Now, up north... I don't know what you call them down here, but up north, those little sprigs that come off the side of a tree or whatever, those are called suckers up north. I was raised with that, and you know that if you want a thing to produce fruit, that stuff that just pops off the side in in arbitrary places that doesn't do a thing for the tree or the shrub or the bush or the vine, that stuff has to go. Because in pruning, listen to me, in pruning the top, you only help what's underground. Because what's underground continues to grow and gets larger and larger and larger, and the top is shaped and made to produce something beautiful and fruitful. But what those little things do, and we know them in our own lives... They tap off water, they tap off nutrients, they suck in sunlight, all that stuff, and you need to get rid of them. Those are the kinds of things that are known in your and my life as sins, weights, and distractions. And if you are abiding in Him, and Him in you, which He is, we're the only if factor here then He's going to tell you when those little sins, weights, and distractions have shown up. That's Him trying to prune, trying to clean us. And if we will listen to Him when He speaks, because we're connected to Him and in direct proximity with Him, we hear Him in the still, small voice. 
and we respond affirmatively, we are cleaned. We are pruned. We don't, and we are overgrown with these unnecessary things. We are removed. Why? Because those things will keep you from producing fruit. Not just fruit. Our text said much. Fruit. Being cut off has nothing to do with cultivating growth. In fact, by the time that a branch has been cut off and discarded, there has been no fruitfulness for a long time. Luke 13. I'm trying to rush to the end, guys. Luke 13. He also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit, but found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I've been coming seeking fruit off this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered, this is the vine dresser, but he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well. But if not, after that you can cut it down. That is a illustration. That is a, 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 a fine example of what... Who's the vine dresser? The Father. That's exactly His perspective on us. Give Him another chance. Another year. Let me work on Him. The question is, is are we allowing the work to be accomplished? Are we abiding? Keep in mind that the light that like the decision we make that leads to salvation, like the decision that leads to apostasy, the idea of abiding to make the, uh, is to make a decision to abide in Him. Verses 4 and 7 of our text suggest that the act of abiding in Christ is a decision made not by Him but by us in response to, to Jesus encouraging us. Listen to verse 4 of John 15. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 7 of the same chapter. If, if you abide in me, if you abide in me, my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. <clears throat> to abide is to make the conscious decision to continue in the decision you made when you had the redemptive plan of Jesus Christ illuminated to you. You saw it. You recognized it. And you recognized your need. You therefore became saved. To abide is to remain there in that relationship. Not a casual, religiously obligatory way. Not like that. But a decision... To dwell, to remain, to stay with Him. To abide with purpose, to abide with intention. And I'm going to close with this last set of verses. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and I'm going to close. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run... Everybody's running. But one receives the prize. Then, he, then, then Paul goes on to say, run in such a way that you may obtain it. You need to run this Christian life like you're the one that's going to win. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. That is to exercise self-restraint. They're temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown. That's what they're doing. But we do this because we want an imperishable crown. And he says, therefore, because of this, I run, this, I, I run like this. Not with uncertainty. I run with the mentality that I'm the only one that's going to cross this. Because there's going to be a whole bunch of folk. Honestly, we understand there's not going to be just one. But you get the illustration. 
This is how I fight, he says. Not as one who beats the air. I'm not shadow boxing. But I discipline my body. That word discipline there means, believe it or not, to hit under the eye. In other words, you're actively seeking to give yourself a black eye and beat yourself up until you obey whatever it takes to win this match. To disable yourself. That's what it means. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. You're a slave driver. That's what the Greek there means. You act as a slave driver. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. Abiding isn't merely going to church. Abiding isn't merely saying, yeah, I'm a Christian. When was the last time you heard the voice of God? God doesn't speak to me. No, you're not listening to Him while He speaks. That's the big difference. Because God, I'm sorry, there's a, there's a, there's a saying that I learned down here, Austin, when I moved here a couple, two and a half decades ago. Chatty Cathy. A chatty Cathy. And we all know what a chatty Cathy is. This is the person that refuses to be quiet. They refuse to stop talking. Christine is not a chatty Cathy. Look, see? Told you. She's not. God refuses to stop speaking. He speaks. And He loves to speak because we're always near. Awkward pauses. You ever have an awkward pause with someone? Ain't no awkward pauses with God. We need to choose. Choose to be close, connected, engrafted. Remember, divine, yeah. We know the Jews, we talk about them because God talked about them as being the, the true, the, the, I mean, the, the natural vine. But the Bible tells us we're engrafted in. That's what the Bible tells us about us. We have been stuck there on purpose by God so that we can hear Him. Ladies and gentlemen, make the decision to remain close. To abide. Stand with me. The Lord is good. Amen.